Okay, so this is class one of our nine marks of a healthy church and nine marks of a healthy church member um, series. So we're going to be doing uh, these over the next 10 or 12 weeks with a couple of gaps in between uh, on different at different times. Um, but we are starting off today with um, the first of the nine marks, which is uh, expositional preaching and expositional listening. Okay. And so essentially what happens is in the, we're using uh, Mark Dever's book and Thabiti Anyabwile's book and they play off each other. So the original book was nine marks of a healthy church. Um, Thabiti came along and did nine uh, marks of a healthy church member to sort of add to it. But one of them is a function of uh, the church, what the church should be doing. The other one is a function of what each individual member should be doing. Okay. Um, and, and so it's basically just sort of like taking the bigger principle then and applying it to, to you guys. So, uh, we start with this first one. Um, the first mark, um, well, actually let's look at all the marks real quick. So, so these are the, a list of the marks and obviously you can see the, the, um, ideas go across. So for a healthy church, um, expositional or expository preaching for our purposes, those are the same thing. You may hear me say either of those words, but for our purposes, they're interchangeable. Um, biblical theology, the gospel, biblical conversion, biblical evangelism, biblical church membership, biblical discipline, biblical, biblical discipleship, and biblical leadership. And so all of those um, are the nine marks of a healthy church. Doesn't mean these are the only things that our healthy church does. Doesn't mean that there aren't other things that we could say, but they are things that are central to um, the life of the church. And if any of them is missing, you're probably going to have uh, various ways in which the church is unhealthy or anemic. Um, and then a corresponding one uh, on the other side uh, with healthy church characteristics of a healthy church member. Okay. So let's just kind of like jump in and talk about uh, what um, specifically is expositional preaching because um, it's probably a term that maybe not everybody's familiar with. You may not know um, uh, that that word or that concept. Um, you may not know what that how that is distinguished when from maybe using a phrase like biblical preaching or something like that, um, some kind of concept. So um, we're going to kind of zoom in on it. Okay. So what would be um, oftentimes when we talk about expositional preaching. Um, a distinction between it is made with topical preaching. Okay. So those are the two things that are juxtaposed with each other. So somebody will say, Hey, does your church preach topically or expositionally? And not that there aren't other options available. There are other things that you could do, but, but those are usually the two that, that are mentioned. Okay. And here's the difference. All right, so if we're talking about topical preaching, a topical sermon begins with a topic, okay? It begins with something the pastor wants to talk about. And then the pastor sources that topic and tries to find something to say about it, essentially, right? Now, that can be done more faithfully or less faithfully. If the pastor says, I want to talk about abortion, um, 
he might then say, cool, what does the Bible teach us that would relate to abortion? That would be a more faithful way of topical preaching. Obviously, a less faithful way of topical preaching would be to say, let me tell you what I think. Let me tell you what the world thinks. Let me tell you what, you know, some cool book I read thinks or something like that. So I, I probably should say topical preaching is not always wrong. It's not always bad. In fact, it's often not wrong or bad. Um, there are times in our church where I preach topically, although I try to preach topically in an expositional way, and I'll kind of talk about that in just a second. Um, but it's not like a church that is preaching topically, um, is, is preaching falsehood necessarily. Okay. Um, but, but there's a specific reason why you might not want to do that. It shouldn't be the, the bread and butter of, of the preaching ministry. And that, um, we can see in the definition of what expositional preaching is. So how does expositional preaching differ from, from topical preaching? I say, okay, so expositional preaching begins with the message, um, or the text that God has given us in a particular, what we would call a pericope, like a, a section of scripture or a whole book of scripture or something like that. Um, and we are taking the message from what the book or passage is already intending to teach. So what the deal is, is the distinction would be there is that it presumes that God has an intention when he communicated to us through a text. So, and that should be the guiding principle of our regular, the regular teaching and preaching ministry of the church, as opposed to the pastor saying, here are the things that I would like to talk about, and then finding a place in the Bible to talk about them, instead saying, no, let's take a cohesive message that God has given us and already delivered to us, and let's go back and see what God had to say and expound upon that, that place. And so again, the preacher's job in that context is to discover the intention that God had in a passage and expose or expound, um, expose the meaning of it and expound upon it. Um, like I said a minute ago, a topical sermon could be done in an expositional way. Okay. And so that's actually basically what we have done every Advent. Um, uh, as we've been a church. So what happens every Advent is we say, me, the person creating the, the preaching calendar says, it's Advent season. We're going to talk about Advent themes. And that usually ends up being either the second coming or uh, the doctrine of Christ or the first coming of Christ or something like that, right? We pick these team, these themes that are Advent um, related, all right? But the way I preach about those things is I go to a text that has to do with that topic. And then I preach through that text exposition. So if we're talking about a couple of years ago, we did a, a, uh, Advent series on the second coming of Christ. So I could have said, cool, the topic is the second coming of Christ. I'm going to go throughout the Bible and find different things that would talk about the, the second coming of Christ. Um, that would have been a topical, purely topical way of doing it. But instead, what I did is I went, you know what? Uh, the first Thessalonians has a big extended section about the second coming of Christ in the end times. So that is obviously a big intent of the, the reason why God wrote that book 
or why he inspired that book to be written. So I'm just going to go to that book and say, teach the things that God has told us in that book. Now, what did that mean? That meant that there were all kinds of topics that I didn't get to concerning the end times and, and the second coming and things like that. So I'm sure somebody probably thought, ooh, we're going to talk about the end times. I'll bet Ash is going to talk about the rapture. We didn't talk any about the rapture in there. Somebody was probably like, ooh, I would love to hear about, you know, sort of these like millennial uh, um, scenarios. Which one of these? We talked very little about that. And the reason is, is because I let the text dictate what... I talked about as opposed to saying, no, I got these, these points that I wanted to talk about. So I'm going to find something and bring it back into the passage. So what, what ended up happening is some of y'all were here for that. Like you may remember that a lot of the things we talked about for the doctrine of the second coming were about being prepared for the coming of Christ, not specifically about the context or events surrounding or timing or any of those things about the coming of Christ, but instead about us being prepared for the coming of Christ. And so you might go, well, that's not what I wanted to talk about, Ash. That's not what I wanted you to talk about. But what I would say is, but it's what God obviously wanted us to talk about because he wrote it in the book of First Thessalonians or Second Thessalonians, whichever one we were in. Um, and that was when, when he talked about the second coming of Christ, that was his focus in that passage. He didn't talk about any of those other things. Now, again, I could have gone to another place. I might have gone to a, a different place to talk about those passages um, or those ideas. And I'm not saying that topical preaching is across the board a bad idea. So, for example, this class is a topical class, right? It's 100% a topical class. But um, so we're not saying that truth isn't transmitted that way, but it's basically saying it's asking the question of who do we want to set the agenda for the primary teaching and preaching in a church? And the answer is, do you want me to set it or do you want God to set it? I want God to set it. I don't know about you guys. Um, so, so that's, that's sort of the picture of it. Okay. So then you might say, well, cool. Ash, wh what is it specifically about? Um, what is it specifically? Why would we be more concerned with God's intention for the, the passage than you just cherry picking? true things that God has said over the course of, of the history of, of the revelation of his, his word. Why wouldn't, what, what's, what's, why is one better than the other? Okay. Well, again, I think this is the case is that, and we see a couple of things obviously in scripture um, that are tied to the word. So one would be this idea. Part of the reason why expositional preaching is important is because God brings life through his word. Okay. Um, God is speaking to us and has a message for us. And when we listen for and receive that message, that message is what changes people. Okay. So we would say the spirit working through the word is actually what brings new life to people's um, hearts. Uh, if you're evangelizing a friend, um, if you're trying to tell other people about Jesus, if I'm preaching from the pulpit and want people's lives to be changed, um, what does that is God's spirit working through God's word. Okay. Um, now again, you might say, well, Ash, we're, with topical preaching isn't good. Topical preaching isn't going away from God's word. Couldn't it still, couldn't God still work through that or whatever? And the answer is yes, of course he could. 
Um, he, he can do that. Okay. But again, what happens is we end up missing a whole bunch of the things that, that God has for us in, in that context. So let me give you an example. There's a popular television pastor. I'm not sure if he's even still on TV, but he was for a long time. Um, and he loved talking about the end times. Okay. To the extent that pretty much every single time you watched him preach on any Sunday, the sermon was always on the end times in some way, shape, or form. Now, he certainly brought other things into it. He would add little things here. But every one of his sermons always had to do with the end times in some way. And he'd get done with one 12-week sermon series on the end times, and he'd start a new one on on the end times. It was always about the end times, okay? Well, there's a problem with that, obviously. And the problem is, is the Bible's got a whole lot more to say than just stuff about the end times. And so when we focus, when you allow a pastor to focus only on the topics that he wants to, to address, then he ends up only addressing those topics and the larger topic, the, the other topics don't get addressed. But I think the case is, is that God brings life to people through all kinds of aspects of his word. Um, I might never talk about an issue of, let's take, take something super traumatic, something like sexual abuse or something. Like I might never talk about that topic because I might say, man, I don't want to touch that. I'm not, I don't, I don't want the controversy. I don't want the, the difficulty of it. I'm just going to leave it alone. But if I stay in God's word and preach through it expositionally, the reality is, is that I'm going to come to something in the text at some point that addresses something about that. And so at that point, I have to make a decision. I'll, I'll have to say to myself, well, God's talking about this topic in this passage. Am I going to ignore that and skip over it so that I don't have to deal with it? Or am I going to talk about that passage? And so I think that's the way, a, a, a general way in which it works. We see throughout scripture that God's word, bring, he brings life through his word. Um, and those are just uh, some, some passages that would be, that, that would point to that idea. Obviously in creation, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made in him was life. And that life was the light of men, right? We talk about, so we know that that passage is about creation, Christ creating, um, being the agent of creation at the beginning of, of time. Um, we go to Genesis and we see God creates what? By his word, he speaks things into existence. Um, God's word working through God's spirit is what changes things. Okay. Um, I love the line that the, the story from, from Ezekiel 37. This is when Ezekiel has the, the vision of the Valley of Dry Bones, and there's been this great battle there, and there are all these skeletons laying across the valley. Whether or not it is a vision or a actual event, um, we've debated in here uh, before. Um, but but what happens to it? So God comes to Ezekiel and says, "Son of man, can these bones live? Can life be brought back to these these bones?" And, and Ezekiel says, well, you know, Lord, you're the one who can determine that. And then God says to him, prophesy over these bones and say to them, oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. And, and so he basically says, what I want you to do, and it's an illustration of, of the ministry that is going to be necessary to bring life back to the nation of Israel. But what does he say? He says, the way you're going to bring life to Israel is by preaching the word of God to them. By speaking the prophetic word of God back into their lives, and that's going to change people. It's going to, 
It's going to bring life to people. Um, Jesus functionally, I mean, we think about obviously Jesus came to die for our sins, right? Jesus came to, to live a perfect life in our place and die a perfect death in our place. But that's not what Jesus says he came to do, at least specifically during his earthly ministry. We just read it. Well, okay, granted, it's been like four years ago, but, but in Luke chapter four, um, Jesus said, he's talking amongst the disciples. And he says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. Um, Jesus has come to bring the message of salvation to us. He's come to preach the good news. That's, that is, uh, he, he wasn't primarily there to do miracles. He wasn't primarily there to, obviously he ultimately came to die for us, um, in the ministry of his own person, but, but in the short run, in his earthly ministry, he came to preach the good news. Why? Because preaching the good news is what brings people to life. Uh, for all the miracles that Jesus did, those only physically helped a certain number of people. And in pretty much every circumstance, they were illustrations of the larger spiritual truth that God was bringing spiritual life to people through those things. He was bringing spiritual light. He was being, bringing spiritual sight. He was bringing spiritual cleansing. He was bringing spiritual life. He was bringing, bringing spiritual mobility. Like all those miracles are pointing towards um, the larger spiritual reality. So God's word brings life. God's word brings sanctification. God's word takes God's people and makes them into the people that they have called, been called to be in Christ. So uh, you remember the story in the Old Testament of Josiah's revival. So during the reign of, of King Manasseh, who was a wicked king at the beginning of his life, repented at the end, but was still not and never really like a, a, a good king per se, the word of God had completely fallen into disuse. It was gone. Nobody read it. Uh, it wasn't used in the temple. It had disappeared. And when Josiah came to the throne, Josiah was like, hey, I want to follow the Lord again. And But the only way he basically knew to do that, to give honor to the Lord, was to get the temple looking nice again. And so, you know why? Because they didn't have the word. He didn't even know what the word said. He didn't, he, he had never been, the word had never been in place even during his whole life. So he said, guys, here's a bunch of money. I want you to go renovate the temple. That will honor God. And as they're renovating the temple, they bust through a wall somewhere and they're like, hey, there's this random old dusty book in here. I wonder what it is. And they open it up and it's the Bible. Um, it's the Old Testament scriptures. And they start reading them and very quickly realize we're in a lot of trouble, guys, because we haven't been doing any of this stuff for a long, long time. And so they take the book to Josiah. Josiah reads it and is and is struck by it, right? The word changes Josiah, and then Josiah has the word read to the people, and it changes the people, and a revival takes place, and people turn back to, to God in a way that they hadn't for probably several generations at that point. Um, Jesus talking in the high priestly prayer that we were just talking about a few weeks ago, um, he says, sanctify them by your, by the truth. Your word is truth, right? God is sanctifying us, making us more like Jesus by the truth. And he's doing that through his word. Uh, the Ephesians five chapter where most people were, were talking about, um, marriage and we're talking about the roles of man, men and women and, and husbands and wives, but notice stuck right in the middle of that where he says, he says, um, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her. How? Having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. 
Okay, so essentially the way that God is preparing his people and cleansing them and making them into a pure bride that would be worthy of himself is by washing them with the word. Okay, it's the word that's sanctifying us. And so again, all these things you go, yeah, so if God has told us something, if God has delivered a message to us and that message brings life, and sanctification, then that's the message that I want to be telling people. I don't want to be piecemealing a message that I've come up with. I want to be preaching the message that God has given to us. Okay. And here's another little illustration. This is just, this is just sort of a side idea. Okay. So imagine going to listen to an insightful speaker. Okay. Um, who's somebody that you like? Who's a speaker that you like? Peter Lightheart. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, right. Um, maybe it's, maybe it's a preacher. Maybe it's a, uh, um, you know, I, there's lots of, I love Kevin DeYoung. I'm, I'm a fan of, of John Piper. Um, it might be somebody in the secular world. You might say, man, I'd love to hear Elon Musk talk because he's, you know, this mover and shaker in the tech field or whatever. Okay. So you have, a, you like that person and you go, man, I respect this person and they have a lot of insightful things to say. And I would love to go hear them talk. And so you go to a lecture or a sermon by this person. And when you get there, the person comes up in the pulpit or podium or whatever and says, hey, everybody, I have compiled some excerpts from former things that I have said, and I'm just going to read those to you. Now, you might go, okay, well, he, the things that they say might not be bad, they probably are some of the things that are the reason I like this person because he said them before. But you would also sort of go, man, the reason I showed up here today is because I thought you had a message for me in some specific way. Um, instead of just sort of taking these pieces out of context and then putting them into this, this hodgepodge of, of cool sayings. That's maybe an exaggeration, but that's kind of the distinction between a topical sermon and, a, and an expositional sermon. Um, God had a, has a message for us. There is an intended message in the scriptures contained in those sections. Okay. Um, we can piecemeal that we can take little nuggets from different places and put them all together, but we're probably going to lose something the same way we would lose something when we wanted that, that unique message, that specific message from, from, um, from the speaker, which kind of end up, you sort of end up realizing that what ends up happening is if I take passages out of their context and try to put them into a, a sermon, then sometimes what ends up really being the case is that even though I'm using God's word to say something, I'm really telling you what I want to say about that, as opposed to saying what God was saying about it in his context. Okay. So I love this line from, from Dever's book. He makes this comment where he says, when he's talking about the calling of the pastor, he says, um, what, what you see in, in the scriptures typically is when you have someone who is a prophet or a, a whatever, who's been called and commissioned by God, that it's not a personal commission to go and speak, but it, it is a commission that is c- connected to a particular message to deliver, right? That's a, that's a really interesting insight. Okay. So God doesn't say, Hey, Isaiah, the prophet, 
Um, I commission you to be a prophet. Now go say whatever you want to because you've been prophetized, right? I've given you this prophet status and now everything that you say is going to be whatever. No, that's not what he does. He says, Hey, I'm raising these prophets up and I have something for them to tell. Um, so for example, as you go through the prophetic writings, what is the preface to almost every chapter or whatever? And the Lord said, right? All the prophet is doing is relaying the message of the Lord, what God has revealed to him and told him to say. He's not there to just give running commentary in some way, right? So, again, the situation would be sort of similar with me. You might say, well, Ash, like, are you saying that you're a prophet of the Lord and you have um, uh, a special divine inspired word from the Lord? And the answer is no, not that's not what I'm saying, actually. What I'm saying is God has already given us those divine inspired words. And now I am not being so much as a prophet of revealing to you a new word of God. I'm being a herald and a preacher and announcing the old word of God. Um, the word of God that has been there the whole time and has always been for all of God's people for all of time. And so it's, it's, there's, there's a little bit of a different context there. So the pastor, um, and his commitment to the centrality of God's word is a critical characteristic for the faithfulness of the church and the faithfulness of its ministry. In fact, I think you could say that the extent to which he is faithful in this first principle will affect all of the other eight marks. So if if we're in a situation where I am not being faithful teaching what God's word says, then we're going to end up doing something wrong in all these other nine marks, any other eight marks anyway. We're going to do evangelism wrong. We're going to do discipleship wrong. We're going to do dis- discipline wrong. Now, I could still be expositionally preaching, and we could still do them wrong, right? We could still mess them up. But, man, we're probably going to mess them up if I am not teaching what God's word says in the context that God gave it to us. Um, I like, again, just an, sort of an encouraging thing at the end where, where he, he talks about the idea that, uh, you know, Paul never tells Timothy to form a committee. He never tells Timothy to take a survey. He never tells Timothy to institute a program. These aren't the, the, the impetus behind the preaching ministry of the, the church. So again, man, I, there's, there's like, I just feel a little weird about like, I could come in here one week and go, what do y'all want to learn about? And somebody say, well, you know, I kind of want to learn about marriage right now, or I kind of want to learn about, uh, uh, race relations, or I want to kind of learn about what the Bible says about any hot button topic or whatever. And I don't think that's what, that's not the way that God has revealed his word to us. Um, what does Paul say instead of Timothy? He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom. That's a pretty strong preface. And then what does he tell him to do? Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. So he says, take the word and preach it. Not new insight, exactly. I mean, it, I'm, that, I don't mean that in a weird way. Certainly there is new insight that comes as people preach, but but not prophetic insight, not giving you a brand new word. Um, I, I want you to preach the things that have already been delivered and expound upon those to, to um, people. All right, so questions. That's sort of a pausing point. That brings us sort of to the end of the uh, um, uh, 
characteristics of a healthy church as opposed to characteristics of a healthy church member. Got any questions, thoughts, comments, pushbacks? Yeah. So you wouldn't ask us, you know, hey, what topics do you want to learn about? Would you ever ask us, hey, we've never studied these books of the Bible. Are you interested in learning about these? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, in a sense, yes. I think there is a, there is a place to at least sort of say, well, we uh, – because there's always going to be a context in which there's going to be a little bit of a choice. So, for example – um which book of the Bible do we preach expositionally through? Okay. So that's going to be out there. Okay. And the reality is, is God doesn't really give us, you know, something that says, well, you need to do this one first and then this one. And you know, he doesn't do that. Okay. So obviously there is always going to be a piece of it where we go, okay. Um, there is going to be a kind of choice that will come and that, that could be a function of me. Um, or it could be a function of other people saying we would like to know about these things. And so obviously there is a level of that. Um, but even, but obviously then, even then you're still going to say, okay, so, so for example, I mean, there's not really, there's none of the books of the New Testament that just deal with one thing, right? Um, none of them you're just going to come to and go, all right, I just want to know about, again, the end times. I don't know anything else, Ash. I only want to know about the end times. Well, we start studying even a book that has a bunch of end time stuff in it, very quickly you're going to realize, yeah, we're going to talk some about the end times, but we're going to talk about all these other things too. Um, and so that, I think, is a another piece of it. Um, we had recently, at a men's meeting one night, we had we had a, a question, and it was essentially this. It was essentially the issue that we're dealing with in this study. Why do you preach the way you preach? Why don't you do this? There are all these hot button topics out there and the people of God need to know how to answer those hot button topics. Why don't you, and this is not the exact wording, but why don't you take a newspaper at the beginning of the week and let it dictate what, what you're going to preach about and then find out what the Bible says about those things that are going on so that the people of God will know how to to respond to them. Okay. Um, and so, and I think the answer is part of what I've already given you is because for one, that's not the way God does it in his word. God gives us these packaged messages, right? In the form of his letters. Um, I'll tell you another, this is just sort of a side insight. Uh, many of you are fans of, uh, Al Mohler's debriefing every week, right? Um, Al Mohler's briefing is great, but, but I'm a, everybody I've ever talked to, um, says the same thing about Al Mohler's, the briefing. Okay. They go, man, really good content, really insightful. But if you listen to it for like six or eight months, you start going, he just talks about the same things every week. Now, not every single week, but cyclically. And you want to know why? Because the hot button topics of our day are the same hot button topics. They don't change every month. We've been talking about abortion uh, for a long time in this country. We've been talking about LGBTQ issues for a long time in this country. We've been talking about, um, you know, any any number of, of the sexual revolution. We've been talking about those things for a long time. So if we let the culture or even the interests of the world dictate the, the topics of the messages, man, you guys are going to just get a whole bunch of sermons on the same thing. And you see that in churches, right? You see that if you pay attention to the preaching ministry of churches that go topically, 
they sort of run through the same basic thing all the time. They just come back around to it. We're doing a series on family, doing a series on marriage. We're doing a series on serving. Now we're doing a series on family and one on marriage. We're going to do one on tithing. Just throw that in every once in a while. And then we're going to do one on serving and then one on marriage and then family or whatever, right? And what you end up finding is, oh, we just end up talking about the same things all the time. And you know what? I don't have a problem talking about the same things if it's the same things that God wants us to talk about. So we discovered, again, if you've been here for four or five years, we keep on coming back to this theme of being prepared for the coming of Christ. We just keep on talking about that. But the reason why we keep on talking about it is because it keeps on coming up in God's word, regardless of where we're at. If we're in the gospels, if we're in the epistles, if we're somewhere else, it seems like God cares about the fact that we should be prepared for the second coming of Christ. So I'm fine with that. Um, and I'm fine with saying the same things basically over and over again, um, because that's the, the, the message that we have received. And it seems to be an emphasis that God has as opposed to an emphasis that Ash has. Tim. Um, so this is all like biblical support of expositional preaching. Is there any support that would show like topical preaching or is it like broad? Yeah. So, so again, it's, it depends on, I think it would depend on how you would talk about it. So um, I don't think that people, if you have a pastor out here who's preaching only topically, um, I think the case is, is that he could be doing that where the content of everything he says is big, biblically truthful and accurate. Okay. So in which case I would never call that maybe, you know, unfaithful or false teaching or something like that. But I think what would probably be the case normally is that what would end up happening is it would be, you know, an illustration of a kid who's, uh, only eating a certain kind of diet. Okay. And you would end up having a deal where, you know what? They may even eat a lot of good things, but they end up eating broccoli for every meal. Um, and then you sort of go, there's a lot more out there than just broccoli. I'm not saying broccoli is bad, and I'm glad that you've got broccoli down pat, right? But there's other things that you need to be getting into. Um, now, you might say, well, cool, Ash, what if you were just a really good topical preacher and you were trying to mitigate that and say, I got a list of a thousand biblical topics. I'm going to make sure I teach through all of them at different times so that we are covering the whole field of, of everything. And I would say, cool, that would be better. But the distinction would still be, but you're still not delivering it in the context and in the connection that God is. So I think another piece that's, I mean, this gets into another level of talking about biblical interpretation, but there's a reason why God puts certain things together in the scriptures, right? There's, there's a reason why he might talk about justification here and then go into talking about marriage in the next passage and then very quickly go into how to deal with church discipline issues. Um, even if I can't figure out the exact reason he does it in that order, he did it in that order for some reason. And so again, I want to go, well, cool. If I'm going to trust that God has the right, uh, organization, um, uh, he's got the right schedule, and I would way rather him pick the schedule than me pick the schedule. Cool. Keep on going. All right. Well, how about I love this quote from uh, 
Uh, Martin Luther, I just thought I'd throw it in here because it's a good one. Um, talking about his ministry in the Reformation where Luther says, I simply preached and taught and wrote God's word. Otherwise I did nothing. The word did it all. And so that was the way he saw it is that it wasn't, he didn't see it that Martin Luther was, you know, a key figure for a key time in history. Um, he saw it as the fact that God's word was actually being preached again and taught and written about. And it was changing people's lives because they had been in a period of darkness and nobody had known that. Um, okay. So let's talk about it from the other sides. So that's what expositional preaching is. What about expositional listening? That's you guys. Um, how do you expositionally listen and what does that even mean? Okay. So expositional listening again would be the, the, the other side of the coin for it. instead of coming to God's word, almost looking, and this is the wrong way of saying it because we're certainly supposed to take things away from God's word, but instead of coming to God's word going, um, what do I get from the message? What are the practical how-tos? Um, I want the word of God to bolster my self-esteem this week. Okay. So how is it going to, how's it going to do what I want it to do in my life? Um, I want the word of God to tell me how to respond to social or political causes out there in the world. So when I come to the word, I want it to do in my life what I have a preconceived idea of, right? It's basically just turning the idea of the topic on its head. Instead of the preacher determining the topic, the parishioner determines the topic. But the crazy thing is, is that you're not even the one preaching it. So you end up taking from the, the sermon or the passage, whatever it is that, that you want to take from it. Okay. Now you might go, well, Ash, how can I do anything other than that? Isn't that just like what it means to come to the word of God and to receive what he has for us from it? And there is a level in which it's, there's a little bit of difficulty there, but I'll tell you what, if, if you watch little like Vine videos or YouTube kind of videos and you watch Christian ones, uh, Bible commentator, you know, podcast people or whatever, man, you see this kind of stuff all the time where they're sort of like, they'll have a passage and they'll say, you know, I've always read this passage and it's been about this one thing, but you know, now I read it this time and God showed me, he gave me this out of it. And they kind of use that language. God gave me something. And then what they tell you God gave them is something that has nothing to do with that text. Like it is a complete um, uh, misrepresentation of that text is taking it out of context. It's usually using one word and then kind of jumping off from that one word and making this big sort of thing out of it. And it, and it, it making it allegorical in some way or doing something strange. Okay. But that's the way a lot of people listen to um, the word of God, right? They come looking for, for it to do in their life what they have already determined they want it to do in their life. Okay. As opposed to saying, God, I am here to receive what you have to give me today. Um, and like there's, it says there on the, on the, the, your handout, expositional listening is listening for the God intended message of the text as the main idea applicable to all believers at all times for us to grasp and apply to our lives. Okay. So you may have come to church today wanting the sermon to give you a word of self-esteem and God may be in that passage giving us a word of judgment and conviction. 
And so you can do one of two things. You can either say, well, I'm going to receive what God has in the passage, or no, I'm going to try to spin this in some way to make it into what I want it to be. So what I would say is, no, don't do that. Um, you want to do, you want to receive God's message, what God has for you. And what is God's message? It's what he intended in the text. Um, it's, it's what you see, um, in the flow and, and, the, and the words, the literal words um, that are in the passage. So does that make sense? Now, there's we're going to talk about all kinds of sort of application in terms of like how can you helpfully, like what can foster expositional listening in just a second. But does that make sense? And do you have any questions or, or pushback against that? It doesn't totally mind you, but Something that part of the memory saying that Matt Chandler has a line, I think he's talking about memory talking about revelation, but um to help what helps me whenever I'm looking at scripture is uh it can't mean to us what it didn't mean to the people that he was writing to yeah, okay. in that context. And so Matt Yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. So so the idea that it can't mean what it didn't mean to the people who originally received it. Right. Yeah. Um, and again, that would make sense according to what we're talking about. Why? Because God wrote his word with an intent that is not, that has not changed, right? Um, the, the intent of the word doesn't change. Now, again, that's not to say that there aren't multiple levels to the sermon. We've talked about things like that before where we're saying, hey, you know, there might be an aspect of the sermon where um, it is speaking in terms of uh, moral prescription or something like that, but it's also probably at the same time pointing us to um, how this is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Uh, it may have an eschatological function where it's talking about how the end times are going to look. It may have a typological function where it's actually looking back and intending to remind us of earlier things. We're not talking about it not having multiple layers, but what we are saying is the layers that are there are all the ones that God intended uh, we don't add new layers to it. Uh, the layers were all intended by God in the first place. So it's good. Yeah. In that context, Chandler, I think like talking about like people look at end times. It's like, oh, I see. This must be like Apache helicopters. You know, that's like the positive thing. It's like, oh, that's what you're talking about here. No, they yeah. didn't have Apache helicopters. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Probably. probably not. Yeah, yeah. Well, and uh. Uh, daily Grace podcast that I listened to, they were the lady was saying that if you know someone all of a sudden comes up with this new, you know, meaning of the, of scripture, then it can't be backed up. You know, if if all these other people are saying one thing and then this person just all of a sudden, then it's yeah, you should be very suspicious of that, right? Um, uh, we have sort of uh, we talked about the other day Hebrews chapter one, right? Um, Throughout history, God has talked to his people in, at many times and in many different ways. But in these last days, he is, he has revealed himself to us through his son, Jesus Christ, right? We don't have, there isn't new revelation at this point. Um, we don't, the, the, the Mormons, they don't have a new revelation. The Book of Mormon is not, uh, true. It, there's, it's not, uh, inspired. There's nothing, uh, spiritual about it. It's a man-made book, but that would be true of anybody. Um, who had written a new revelation. And the reason is because we don't have new revelation. Uh, God has fully revealed himself um, in all the ways that he wants to. 
in his son and in his word, which is commentary on his son. Okay. And so we're looking to the already revealed God in those things. Um, a great illustration of that, talking about new teaching and stuff. If you come to a point where there is a new teaching in the church that nobody's ever thought of ever before, um, it's man, it's probably wrong, right? Probably people for centuries and millennia, faithful men and women of God searched the scriptures. Nobody ever figured it out. But now we did all of a sudden in the midst of something, you know, that's probably not the case. And now somebody might say, ah, but Ash, what about some movement like the Reformation or something like that, right? Didn't the Reformation come to a, a new realization of truth? And the answer is no, it didn't. And the Reformers didn't. The Reformers were always saying, we are trying to get people to go back to what was always understood to be the right understanding of Scripture. It's the, it's the Catholic Church in the medieval times that has strayed from the right understanding. They're the ones that have introduced novelty into the church. We're trying to go back to what has always been known to be true. Okay. Uh, and so that's, I, I think that's right. When you see, when you have a, a new revelation, um, it is, and, and sometimes it's like, it's not, you know, sometimes it's a, an insight that is not a new revelation. It's just a new way of seeing it or whatever. And so that's obviously not the same thing, but if there's a new, um, there's a new revelation, it's probably wrong. Okay. Well, let's look at, let's look at some things real quick. Uh, we just got a few more minutes. Why is expositional listening important? Okay. Well, this is why it's good for you guys. Um, because it cultivates a hunger in you for God's word. All right. Instead of, um, uh, wanting to have your ears tickled um by um a a fancy engaging the word that we always use is dynamic a dynamic speaker right um instead of just wanting to hear a dynamic speaker you start wanting to hear the word of god and that you realize that no matter how engaging this speaker might be um, or how good his illustrations or funny as jokes or, or whatever that I would way rather just hear from God today, um, from his word than I would from this, from this speaker. And I'm not just saying that because nobody has ever called me dynamic. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, we want to hear from God. And as we hear from God, then, then as he says in the Psalms, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. We start having it, we get a taste for God's word. We start realizing that, man, that's what I want. Um, I just, I don't want just a good, uh, lecture. I want, I want to hear from God today. Um, obviously it helps us to focus on God's will and follow him. You're, um, you are focusing on the priorities that God has set and the agenda that God has set and, and, uh, trying to follow that. So again, um, he talks about the idea in John, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. As we attune ourselves to hearing and seeking after God's word, then that's what we want and we listen for and follow after. And so the world may say, you may go and hear a preacher somewhere preach some goofy message. Um, and again, let's say something like the prosperity gospel. 
Okay. We hear, you might go and hear a very eloquent, convincing, engaging message about, uh, how, you know, you need to go out there and be a millionaire, um, by sowing some seeds or whatever. But here's what will happen. The person who's attuned to the word of God will go, this doesn't ring true. This doesn't sound like my master talking. Okay. Because the master's sheep know his voice and they know what he says and how he says it. So you'll say, man, it sounded really pretty, but it doesn't sound like what my master would say. It doesn't sound like his voice. Um, and so that's part of the reason why we want to be expositional listeners because it helps us to focus on God's will and follow him. Um, it protects the gospel from, uh, and our lives from corruption. So he, he warns us in second Timothy, which again, Timothy, the two Timothys and Titus are all about pastoring basically. Um, and therefore they are a lot about preaching. And Paul warns Timothy, he says, the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. I mean, we could, we could sit there, you know, somebody would probably say, yeah, man, uh, it's truer today than it's ever been. But here's the, the reality. It's always been true. Okay. This is what the human heart wants. It wants justification for its own desires. And instead, Paul says, no, you need to preach what the word says. You need to preach God's agenda and God's desires. And and then expect people to align their lives with those, not the other way around. Not find out what the people want and then preach something to um, uh, scratch their itching ears. Um, it encourages faithful pastors, okay? So it encourages me. Um, to the extent that I am expositorily preaching, it encourages me when you're expository listening. Um, when you are a congregation that goes, uh, yeah, I'm engaging with God's word and I appreciate, uh, the expounding of God's word. And again, I'm not saying that I do that well all the time or that I do it without fault or I don't slip into other things. It's easy for anybody to accidentally get off the expositional train and get on the rant train or my opinion train or the let's tell a funny story train or whatever, right? That's, that happens. But to the extent that I am preaching expositorily, man, it's encouraging when people go, yeah, uh, thank you for giving me the word of God. And here's how God is using it. Um, I've got some questions about, you know, uh, whatever, as opposed to saying, well, it seems like all he ever does talks about the Bible. You know, I just, I, I don't know why he does that so much. It's getting a little old. Um, not that, you know, I mean, I've never had anybody say it that bluntly to me, but man, it, it sort of seems like people think that way sometimes. Um, and then, and then lastly, uh, it benefits the gathered congregation. You are better off and you will be better servants to each other by being able to speak the word, having listened to the word of God and being able to interact with the word of God with your brothers and sisters in Christ in the church, right? We'll just be better off people. Again, man, if you people in your church are going through difficult things, going through a bunch of hard stuff, um, I don't want the wisdom of the world in those situations. Um, and again, it, that doesn't mean that everything's going to be easy. It doesn't mean that, oh, well, if we know what God's word says about things and we can talk to it in those contexts that everything's just going to go smooth and hunky dory. It's not. 
man, it'll go way better than it would if we were just trying to give people the, the wisdom of the world. And the truth is, is that everything, I, I'm not going to be there in every cir- circumstance, right? And so there are going to be lots of times where you guys are speaking into each other's lives and talking about these things. And so uh, I want you to be biblically grounded uh, in in what God has taught us to. Um, oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, unity around the message of God. Um, not, uh, our individual, uh, what it means to me. That's misprint. Again, man, I, I don't, you've probably done this. You've probably been in Bible studies where basically you sat down and everybody went around in a circle and said, what does this passage mean to you? And man, if you wrote all those things down, you would go, there's no way it can mean all these things. This is, it doesn't, it doesn't end up. Like it can't mean all this. Now again, it doesn't, I'm not saying we shouldn't talk about how it's, God's word is affecting us, but, but that's different from saying, uh, there's not a central truth there and, and, um, that God is not saying something specific to us. So how can I be a better expositional listener? How can you guys be better expositional listeners, right? How can the congregation be a better expositional letter, uh, listener. So one, um, meditate on the passage to be preached ahead of time. So cool thing about expositional preaching typically is you know exactly what passage is going to be preached next week. Okay. Pretty much. You know what? Every once in a while I'll throw y'all a curveball. Like I'll be all like, I know I preached on this passage last week, but I'm going to preach on it again this week. Um, you know, but, but add some stuff to it or whatever that happens once in a blue moon, but not usually, usually if I was in chapter four, verse one through 10 this week, then next week I'm going to be in chapter four, 11 through 20 or something thereabout next week. And so you can generally know what's coming. So you know what you can do? You can put a little work in ahead of time. You can start looking at it um, and, and, and trying to familiarize yourself with the text before we get to it. Um, that would include um, using good resources to study the passage on your own. So not just reading it and being familiar with it, but doing some study on it, okay? All the time, there are people in the congregation who will say, hey, do you have you ever considered this about that passage? Um, you know, there's this word in there, and yes, it has the possibility of meaning what you said it meant in your sermon, Ash, but there's also the possibility that it means this other thing. And you know what happens in those contexts? Sometimes I go, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm aware of that. And this is why I think it means this. And we have a conversation and we dig in. But you know what sometimes happens? Sometimes it happens. I go, no, I didn't know that. I'm not familiar with that. I've, I've never heard that, um, that anybody say that before. And so that's something that, that, that's an opportunity for me to grow in my understanding of a passage too. Cause there's a lot there, um, in every passage. So use good resources. Maybe get a Bible commentary. Maybe, you know, you've got study Bibles. You've got uh, Bible dictionaries. You've got um, all those kind of resources that you can get into, which obviously take a little bit of prep to see which ones of those resources are actually helpful and which ones are not. So um, talk and pray with friends about the sermon after church. So, you know, with different times in our small groups, we've done this more or less where we've said, Hey, the main thing that we're going to be talking about in the small groups is the sermon sort of playing out some of, uh, the, um, the ideas and talking about their application and stuff like that. I don't think 
the, the small groups are mainly doing that now? Is your small group, that's not the main thing that y'all talk about typically, right? No, yeah. yeah, that's what I think most people are using the, the, the reading, the church's reading plan, but, uh, which is fine too. Which lines up a lot of times actually. Yeah. Uh, of course it does, right? Yeah. Um, you would expect it to if yeah. God was, was, uh, working through his word by the spirit in his church. Yeah. And so you would probably find many times where you're like, you know, it just so happened that Ash preached this message and then we read this passage. Isn't that weird? Um, and it's like, no, it's not weird. Uh, it's, it's God working through his word. So, uh, but you, obviously you don't have to do this in a specific context. We don't have to do it in an official organized context where we're all sitting down around a study or something. We can do this casually as we talk with friends and, and, and just talk about life and, and, and move forward in those things. Um, it seems like maybe an obvious thing, but putting the sermon into practice in, in a given week, right? As you hear and, and certain things are brought out in, in a passage, if God says, Hey, uh, we need to be kind to people, then you know what a good idea would be is maybe this week try to be kind to people. Um, if he says, uh, you should be generous in your giving, then maybe this is the week to start being generous in your giving. If he says, uh, uh, you should tell people the good news of Jesus Christ. And maybe you should sort of say, man, I'm be looking for opportunities this week to tell people the good news of Jesus Christ. Um, not to just come and go, well, that was an interesting lecture from, from God's word. And, and, uh, it's cool to know these things and, and, and lock them into my file cabinet or whatever, but to actually, um, try to practice them throughout the week. I'm going to be real honest. Like, that's an easy thing to do. It's an easy thing to hear a word and say, yeah, I agree with that. That's right. Thank you, God, for that word. And then just go about your life and never really do anything about it. Uh, we see that in the scripture all the time. We see people who loved it. I, one of my favorite examples of that is, is King uh, Herod um, when uh, John the Baptist is ministering, right? John the Baptist, Herod loves to hear John the Baptist preach, loves to hear him. And then John the Baptist shows up and says, put away your your brother's wife, right? Stop sleeping with your brother's wife. Um, and do what's right. And Herod's like, good sermon, dude. See you again next week. And nothing changes, right? Um, people like to get have their toes stepped on, especially spiritual people. They like having a word given where they're called to do something and they get to go, yeah, that's how I should be living. And then to walk away and not do anything about it. Um, we all do. Um, it's, it's part of being human. So sinful humans. Um, Address any questions about the text, right? Sometimes that happens and that happens after services a lot too. And so I appreciate that. That's something that happens already at different times. Somebody comes up to you after the service and says, yeah, okay, Ash, but what about this? You know, you said this, that passage says this, but what about this other thing? How do we, how do we fit all these pieces together? I think that's another important piece, right? Um, and then lastly is, and this is key, I think, because if you get somebody who's prepared for the sermon and studied on the sermon and talked about the sermon a little bit, it's easy to basically become a professional critic um, where you show up for the sermon, not with the intention of God speaking to you through his word, but basically saying, well, I already know everything. So I'm going, this is my opportunity to be critical of it or whatever. Obviously, I don't want that. But the truth is, is that I don't even want to be that. Like, I don't want to, and I find myself doing it sometimes. 
you guys, some of you have been to conferences with me or whatever. Like, um, there's times you go to a conference and you hear a guy speak. And then what do you talk about right after the conference? Well, I disagree with, you know, whatever you get into this critical stuff. And obviously we have to do that. We have to, we have to be critical of the things we hear and, and, you know, sort out truth from falsehood and best practice and good, better, best and all those things like that. We have to do that, but, but don't show up just with being ready to critique. Nobody's, that's not good ever. Okay. Um, nobody likes critics usually. Um, nobody likes film critics, uh, right? Film critics are the, they're the worst. Um, they can't just enjoy a movie. They can't go to a movie and just like watch and go, Oh yeah. He shot some MIGs down, um, or whatever. That was really fun. You can't do that. You have to go in and analyze everything and tear it apart. Well, maybe, maybe God's got a word for you, um, in this passage and the preacher doesn't have to just like knock it out of the park every single time, but God can still speak because it's not the pastor who's delivering an idea, but it's, it's the word speaking. Um, we'll kind of close just with this idea that we talk about from time to time, the, the, um, a motto of the Reformation, um, Semper Reformanda Secundum Verbum Dei, which means always reforming according to the word of God. That's what our goal should be. Um, and it's the goal of expository preaching that the word of God would always be spoken and preached and taught and therefore it's power to change lives and reorient our lives continually as we drift away from God and into falsehood that the word would reorient us back to God. And then we drift a little bit and the word orients us back, that the word is always bringing us back and reforming us um, according to its truth. And so it's a good Reformation motto. It's a good post-Christian 21st century motto. Closing questions, comments, concerns? Yes. Then a good, um, like, uh, resource comment, uh, Bible commentary that's for the non, uh-huh. uh, non pastor, you know, something that's a, Easy to understand. Yeah, I, I can, I'll give you, I'll, I'll get some references for you. Yeah, the lay person. Yeah. So, so I'll find some, some good resources to recommend that I could just off the cuff give. Kind of depends on what you're looking for in a lot of them. Um, so for example, there are like whole testament commentaries in one volume. So there's like an Old Testament commentary, New Testament commentary in one volume. It'll be a big book, but you know, six or eight hundred pages, but gives you a, a broad overview of things, right? But then you can dig into different books and then get a six or 800 page commentary on one book of the Bible. And you might say, well, that's way too in depth. Okay. Well, there are smaller commentaries on all these things. Like just off the top of my head, there's a, um, there's a series called the Bible for you. For you. Yeah. The Bible for you, these little blue books. Mm-hmm. Um, they're short, but, but, Everyone that I've ever read, I went, yeah, that was good stuff. They make good Bible studies. Um, they make good devotional material as you're working through, and they're done expositionally. They start at the beginning of a book, and they work through to the end of a book. Blank book for you. Yeah, like Ephesians for you, Romans for you uh, is what they're called. 
Um, I think it's called the Bible for You series or something like that. But they're all blue. They have a bunch of weird words on the front. Like it's like, it looks like somebody was making an inscription on the front. I don't know. It's weird. You'll, you'll know, you'll see them and you'll go, Oh yeah, weird words. Yeah, I get it. So, um, there are a number of good, like one book commentaries out there, but I'll have to get the specific wording of them because they're all titled basically the same. The new commentary on the New Testament. Some of them are like way over my head. Well, so like obviously, you know, there would be things like in terms of single book commentaries, if you don't know Greek, it's probably unhelpful to get a a commentary that heavily engages with the Greek. Um, that's probably not going to be super helpful, although I'm not very good at Greek either. And I have lots of ones that engage with the Greek because, you know, you still glean stuff. You just realize that when it gets into the weeds on Greek, you skip down. Um, but yeah, there are, and there's some that would be, there's there, they, they lean from all kinds of things, applicational and pastoral and technical and theological. And so they can all have different flavors. And so some of that depends on what you're looking for. And then really it depends on every single series and author. And, you know, there's certain series that I generally like, and there's certain series, even in those series, they sometimes somebody, you know, swing and a miss. So they just aren't particularly good commentaries, but so, but yeah, I'll, if I'll, I'll find some big ones that would be broad and then some little series that, that would be helpful too. Some of the big ones can be cost prohibitive too. You know, you buy some big commentary on Romans and it's probably going to cost you 60 bucks or something like that. And probably not many people want to spend that on an $800, I mean, 800 page book that some of them are really good. <clears throat> yeah. If you wrote your own book on what makes a healthy church, what would you start with? Well, man, listen to that. I mean, I think I would start with, I probably wouldn't be smart enough to think that it would be expository preaching. Um, but it would be, so I'll be honest, when you look at Dever's thing, the first three are expository preaching, uh, biblical theology and the gospel. And like, if I was just talking off the cuff, I would almost feel like those three are almost all connected, right? Because you're not going to understand the Bible properly outside of the context of the gospel and biblical theology. But if you're not going to preach those things, you know, they all almost seem almost like a trinity. Um, but they all seem pretty necessary, um, foundational. Um, if you, he makes the comment where if you don't have this first one of expository preaching, none of the others are going to fall into place probably. And I almost feel like if you don't have the first three, then the next six are not going to fall into place. But I don't know. That's just my off the cuff comment. Maybe we'll get a healthy church. And I hope. Yeah, like you could say something, like you could sort of zoom out a little bit and say, you know what the foundation thing is, is Jesus, right? The foundational thing for any healthy church is Jesus. But then you would immediately say, Jesus in what, like how? Well, what Jesus is, who he is and what he's done for the church. Yeah, that's the gospel and a right understanding of who Jesus is. Well, that's biblical theology, right? And then we have to 
teach that truth to the church. Well, that's biblical preaching. And so obviously in one, you know, the answer is Jesus, um, because he's at the center of all of it. But, but I think probably this is a good place to start. Um, the gospel would have been a good place to start too, I feel like. Um, but, uh, anyway. Having read it last year, I think you're, you're pretty good at stuff. At least pretty much of it, which I think is pretty good. Cool. So that our church is? Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I hope so, but we will see. And obviously, we're always reforming according to the word of God because it's easy to get out of um, whack or even just, man, we know what we're supposed to do and then we just don't do it, right? It just doesn't work out. Um, we end up saying, you know what? Doing what we're supposed to do is a little bit too hard. So I'm just going to take the easy way out of this thing. Um, and so that happens too. So cool. All right. Well, um, so next week we'll be, um, back again. Um, we'll be talking about biblical theology as a mark of the, uh, of mark of a healthy church and being a biblical theologian, um, as a mark of healthy church membership. I'm going to ask my daughter to wear her theologian shirt. It just says theologian across the front of it. Um, uh, because that's what it's talking about is that all of us are biblical theologians. Um, if you're a Christian, you're a theologian, you may be a bad one, but you're a theologian. Um, and so that's the key is we want to all be good ones. So that's what we're going to talk about next week. Um, let's close in prayer and then we'll head into service. Father God, we thank you for this day. God, we thank you again for um, your word. We thank you for this topical teaching time of of the different, um, God, what your word has to say about the way your word um, changes us, the way it brings life, the way it brings sanctification. God, the, the centrality of hearing from you and basing our lives on what you have said and what you have called us to us called us to in the context um, and in the manner that you have called us to those things. And so uh, we just ask that you would use this study um, to to make us more um, aware and um, conscientious about all of these topics um, to the end that we would live faithfully as individuals and that, that our church would uh, live faithfully as a gathered congregation. We thank you. We praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank mm-hmm. you.